You know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. That's why I partnered with Fullscript, an online dispensing platform that only offers curated professional-grade brands that I know and trust. The very same supplements that I prescribe to my patients and take myself. Never counterfeit or expired, always stored and shipped correctly. Just go to DearHoffmanStore.com to start your free Fullscript account. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA compliant and offers world-class support. Fullscript also gives you access to my custom targeted supplement protocols that combine the products that I recommend to address specific needs, heart health, immune support, and much more. Just go to DearHoffmanStore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll get access to the supplements and features you need to help you achieve your wellness goals. That's DearHoffmanStore.com. DearHoffmanStore.com. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoppen. I'm very excited to talk today to Dr. Richard Mann, uh, CEO of Realm Labs. He's a podiatric physician and surgeon who specializes in nerve diseases of the feet and legs. He also has uh, a great interest in the potential for nutritional therapies to improve a lot of his patients uh, and is the author of a fascinating new paper on the potential for a form of vitamin B1 called benfotiamine uh, to potentially have an impact on the progression of ALS, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, aka Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, so tell us about this. Is now just a caveat. This is not you know double-blind placebo-controlled study of uh, hundreds or scores of patients. Uh, this is a case report. Now the problem with case reports is that it's a one-off. So we can say, well, you know, that's not the highest level of evidence, but it is an opportunity to explore the potential for something for a condition for which we have very little to offer. And so tell us a little bit about uh, this end of one study. Uh, there's a gentleman. Well, that's, 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 a, that's exactly right. It's one patient who claimed that after taking benfotiamine, uh, it was given to him, uh, suggested by his brother, who's a physician. He claims significant improvement in fatigue, and um, uh, that's been going on for about four months now, and I wrote a paper on it, um, but I don't want to give anybody the impression that this is a mm -hmm. treatment for uh, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis or anything else. We're, we're talking about the, uh, the science here, we're not talking about anything specifically with respect to treatment for patients. And as I said before, um, you should speak to your physician about this. But in, in researching the correlation between amyotrophic lateral sclerosis and vitamin B1, there's this uh, literature that indicates that there may be vitamin B1 issues associated or metabolism issues associated with amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. And if that's the case, then it certainly would warrant a uh, double-blind placebo study with a large number of patients uh, to reach statistical significance. That sort of thing is going on with Alzheimer's now. There were three papers that were written that showed that benfotiamine had a positive effect on patients with Alzheimer's. I think there were 40 patients in the literature that are described as having, having some improvement, but it didn't reach statistical significance. So you can't say that mm -hmm. benfotiamine helps 
people with Alzheimer's or helps people with amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. There, there was, you there was can just say trend, that it's very it interesting just, from what we've observed in the literature. The big enough, right? Exactly. This this is not the double-blind placebo study, which is the well, the gold standard in, in science to say whether something works or not. Mm-hmm. So I was uh, made aware of this gentleman doing better, and as a result, I wrote a paper because there was a lot of stuff in the in the scientific literature that indicated a correlation or some uh, between vitamin B1 uh, deficiency and or metabol uh, uh, impaired metabolism and and multiple neurodegenerative diseases. So it, you can think of it like a, a very very focal or specific berry berry in certain neurons that might be what's going on, and that's what needs to be investigated. So uh, why not just use a lot of thiamine? You know, it sounds like that researcher in Italy started with thiamine. Did, did he eventually switch over to, to benfotiamine? Why is it no, better? No, 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 he didn't. He started with uh, uh, injectable thiamine. Okay. And then he went to regular thiamine. And, and, and he, found, uh, he found it to be extraordinarily safe. So mm-hmm. it, it's... And, you know, as, as the fates would have it, the gentleman died of uh, COVID in, a, in an Italian hospital in, 19, uh, in 2019. Hmm. So that, that work was uh, relatively uh, re- retarded uh, with respect to its progression, right. uh, unfortunately. But there's a lot of literature out there. So, so it looks as though it's, it's, um, there may be more favorable forms of vitamin B1, mm-hmm. but it looks as though it responds to other forms of vitamin B1 as well. So as I said, there's a very sophisticated... What's the advantage of benfotiamine over uh, ordinary thiamine? Because thiamine pretty cheap. I guess you know, taking five grams could could cost you some bucks because it's such a high dose. But uh, why is benfotiamine potentially more beneficial for the nerves? Um, there are some uh, thoughts that benfotiamine has a lipid soluble as a lipid soluble form when it gets mm-hmm. into the blood. It may penetrate the myelin sheaths more effectively because there's some lipid solubility. Uh, uh, not all of it is converted into regular thiamine, but that's all speculation. Okay. In, in my opinion, I think that the, the major player here is the high levels of thiamine that are reached with benfotiamine, uh, which can be reached also with injections and by taking these very, very high levels of uh, vitamin B1, sure. uh, naturally occurring B1. Also, from a... Um, from a um, an expense perspective, if you're going to take high, very, very high levels of vitamin B1 like that, the expense with benfotiamine is about the same. They are all extremely safe, mm-hmm. which is the, the hallmark here. No, there's no issues at all with respect to uh, too much benfotiamine that, I, that, that are in the literature. And I've been selling it for the past... Uh, 17 years, and, and there's just nothing out there that well, would indicate you, you know, that negative that, feedback. Uh, uh, problem. There, there's yeah. also, uh, Dr. Mann, there's also a, a form of thiamine, I believe, called allithiamine. Uh, how does that differ from benfotiamine, and is there any research suggesting that that's a good form? Because it's sold as a over-the-counter supplement. Yeah, allithiamine is um, derived from, I think, garlics and Mm-hmm. And yanks or scallions, etc. It's also a lipid soluble form of uh, vitamin B1. It's uh, much less studied than benfotiamine. Um, it's it's used. I, I 
I suspect that very, 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 very much less than Benfotim. I mean, and we have a lot of experience with. There are other forms of thiamine, uh, lipid-soluble thiamine out there in addition to benfotemine, but benfotemine, I believe, is, is the best studied and, and the most often used. So how much of this stuff uh, is necessary to take? I mean, you have to take like a whole bottle full of this stuff to get the benefits uh, you know, and let's let for the moment put aside, you know, ALS, because I think it's kind of speculative uh, or, or Parkinson's disease or Alzheimer's. But your experience with patients who have uh, problems with pain, numbness, tingling, nerve sensations in their, their feet, uh, how much of the uh, alithon, I'm sorry, of the uh, benfotiamine, the Zobria product, do they need to take to and for what duration? Uh, how, does, how is it administered? Well, you have to realize what we're doing is we're reversing a vitamin B1 deficiency. So mm-hmm. there's two phases here. The first phase is to reverse the deficiency, and we do that by giving uh, 300 milligrams twice a day. And after uh, three to four weeks, it's rather remarkable, you get the benefits. And that's because that's how long it takes to restore the, the vitamin B1 levels. In one capsule, and after is how three much? Or four weeks, what, what is it? How, what's the three, 300 milligrams twice a day. So each capsule is 300 milligrams? Well, yeah, the, the stuff we make is 150 milligrams. Oh, okay, capsule. so it's four. So that's two four capsules day. twice a day. Four day. okay. That's two capsules twice a day. Okay. And then after a month, you generally get an uh, improvement in the numbness, tingling, burning, or shooting pains in the feet and legs. At that point, we drop it down to two capsules a day or 300 milligrams a day. And the, um, we don't lose, in general, any of the efficacy at that point. The logic being not to give more than the patient needs. It's, a, it's just there's no reason for it from a therapeutic perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so you wrote this article in a, you know, in a uh, respectable but you know, rather niched uh, medical journal. It was peer-reviewed, which is, which is always good because it's not, you know, like, you know, some of these journals are, you know, you, you pays your money and they publish your study, but without any kind of critical review. So they reviewed it and they said, yeah, this is, you know, reasonable. Let's put up this hypothesis. Uh, and have you gotten a lot of traction on it? Because I would imagine that you know, some people uh, in the general public or, you know, maybe in the field of neurology uh, should be taking a look at it and maybe corresponding with you and maybe saying, hey, uh, is it creating a buzz? Well, thank you so much. Um, first off, the the title, if anybody wants to look it up, is Impaired Thiamine Metabolism in Amyotrophic Lateral Sclerosis and its Potential Treatment with Benfotiamine, a case report and a review of the literature. No, if and, you Google um, your name, Dr. Shot- Richard Mann. Uh, yeah, M-A-N-N, you know, Dr. Richard and, Mann. And then Benfotiamine, a keyword, and then maybe throw in ALS, they would maybe find their way to the article. Yes, I think so. It's, okay. it's on PubMed. PubMed, okay. Which is the uh, the most uh, commonly used source of medical publications. Mm-hmm. And um, so anybody who's interested, especially anybody in the field of neurology who wants to read it, it's well documented, I believe, and it's got uh, significant the, re- uh, the references are there. I'm happy to speak to anybody about it. Um, and uh, it, it came out six weeks ago, and... Uh, they they publish the metrics, and it seems as though over 2,000 people have uh, read the article. So I'm, I'm very, very happy about that. And every, um, 
everybody who reads it um, has the opportunity to speak about it and put that right. comment. And it's, I'll tell you, it's not light bedtime reading. You know, it's uh, it's very, uh, you know, it's it's full of uh, scientific jargon, and it is a very sophisticated analysis of the molecular biology and biochemistry associated with uh, and physiology associated with uh, thiamine metabolism. So, you know, kudos to you. And uh, how many references were there? I mean, I I wanted to print the whole thing, but I I didn't want to print five pages of references. <laughs> well, you're 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 very Dr. Hoffman. Let me make sure I say this. You're very kind. Thank you so much. Um, that's a very kind thing for you to say. Well, we had 29 references. Quite frankly, I could have had a lot more, but um, I stopped at at 29. The, the thing that I think that is significant here is that it, it, there's a lot of evidence or. It's a suspicion that, that there's this focal vitamin B1 deficiency in certain neurons in the brain. And if that's the case, it's a, it's a, it's a, a variant of beriberi in certain neurons, and those neurons wouldn't work properly because they wouldn't produce enough ATP because they don't have the ability from, with uh, respect to the cycles that produce ATP to work properly because of impaired vitamin B1 availability or metabolism, and this very well may be something that might help people with some of these horrible diseases. Okay. Now, short of that, uh, you know, can I ask you a personal question? You know, I don't don't want to uh, nail you, uh, pin you down, but what decade of life are you in? I am in my eighth decade. I've just begun my eighth decade of life. I'm 70. Uh, What decade of life are you in? I've got you by two years, my friend. Okay, so uh, now I'm do, do you value your your uh, your cognitive health? Loaded question. I value every aspect of my health, Doctor Hoffman. Okay. But my cognition is very, very important. Okay, so and I've been taking I've been taking that's where I'm, uh, that's where I'm going with this. Is is yeah. is it a reasonable notion that you know, short of these dread diseases, you know, dementia, ALS, Parkinson's disease, these movement disorders, uh, you know, peripheral neuropathy, that there may be a place for you know optimization. Uh, because we all, you know, as we age, we do suffer from progressive uh, memory deficits, some degree of decrease in movement, balance, and various aspects of brain function. Is it, you know, based on your research on, on thiamine, could thiamine give people a bit of a, a hedge against the decline? There was a study, a study done out of China, which correlated um um, a, um, a form of thiamine, thiamine diphosphate or pyrophosphate, mm-hmm. the blood with uh, cognitive ability in non-demented elderly. Mm, okay. So people who didn't have any dementia issues. That would be us. They took a look at the <laughs> level. They took a they took a look at the level of thiamine, a certain type of thiamine in their blood, and correlated it with their cognition and showed a relationship. Mm-hmm. And that just makes sense because thiamine makes nerves work better mm-hmm. um, from what I can see. So, uh, yes, I think it's the case. It, no one's done a study other than the one that I just quoted to you out of China. But I, my personal opinion is that 
I get people calling me all the time saying that they were taking this for numbness in their feet, and, and you know they can figure out the 20% on the check a lot better than they used to. Mm-hmm. I, I get this anecdotally, and, and I, I think that's probably very valid. I think you were right on when you, when you suggested that, um, although the only study that has that, that looked at that, is a Chinese study. We need more studies on this. Yeah, it's, it's harder to study because I think the differences would be more subtle. Uh, and people would have to be followed for many, many years with a comparison group, you know, like, because this is not something that necessarily works overnight. You might have to take the supplement for a longer period of time to uh, maintain uh, cognitive health. Um, okay, so uh, let's see. I wanted to ask you, oh, yeah, um, who might be at greater risk for thiamine deficiency? Now, we mentioned alcoholics. Do you think like ordinary people who have a, you know, come home, have a cocktail, maybe have wine or beer with dinner, that even at the moderate levels of alcohol intake, that they might have somewhat of a compromised uh, thiamine status? Well, I'm, I'm shooting from the hip on this, yeah. but I think not. I, I think you have to take so much thiamine that you, I'm sorry, so much alcohol that you damage the apparatus okay. in your gut. Okay. And it causes you to absorb it, or it makes you to the point where you have nutritional issues you don't care about eating. The okay. people who are well known to be vitamin B1 deficient are diabetics. Yeah, which diabetics, is so prevalent. Uh, there was a, not necessarily full-blown diabetics. They may have metabolic syndrome. They may have a borderline blood sugar, and that may take a toll on thiamine metabolism. They, uh, an English group showed a while back, maybe... 15 years ago that um, diabetes damages the kidney's ability to maintain thiamine and you urinate out your thiamine. They're urinating out like 20-fold the thiamine of non-diabetics. And um, it, the blood levels in, in the diabetics also was down, uh, were down 75%. And so that's fairly well documented. I think it may turn out that we're going to find that's the case with pre-diabetics as well. Because from a, a neuropathy perspective, the numbers are much, much higher than anybody ever suspected. You're looking at like 18% of pre-diabetics having peripheral neuropathy, and very few people know anything about that. Elderly in general tend to be vitamin B1 deficient as well, probably a combination of absorption issues and, and urinating it out. People who are on water pills when they urinate out excessively to control their, their blood pressure, they tend to be a vitamin yeah. B1 deficient as well. There are other vegetarian... Uh, Lasix or furosemide is uh, notorious yeah. for lowering uh, thiamine levels. That's a powerful yeah. uh, diuretic. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. I think it's a loop diuretic. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I think that is the case. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we found is many people have complaints of numbness, tingling, burning, shooting in their feet and legs, and they, there's no etiology for it. And and a lot of physicians just say, well, why don't you try yep. this and let's see if it works. And if it works, then you can go back and say, well, you were in need of more vitamin B1. Mm-hmm. So, um, and since it's so um, safe, it's not a bad strategy. Absolutely. I, I, you know, people have, a lot of people have what's called idiopathic uh, peripheral neuropathy. In other words, we, we're idiots. We can't figure out why you have it. Uh, but, 40, you know, 40, excuse me, 40, 40%, unknown, 40%, unknown 40%, 40%, I'm, I'm sorry, doctor. Go ahead. I spoke over you. Yeah, Please forgive me. 
Go ahead. Forty percent of people with idiopathic peripheral neuropathy are pre-diabetics. Ah, there you go. And and ninety percent of people who are pre-diabetics don't know about it. Yeah. And the vast majority of physicians who treat these people have no idea that pre-diabetes gives you predisposition mm-hmm. towards peripheral yeah. neuropathy. Before the emergence of full-blown diabetes, you may actually have some neuropathy, which is a little known fact. Um, so let, let me also talk a little bit about you know a comprehensive strategy for. Uh, nerve pain that I sometimes use. I, I'm a big believer in benfotiamine. Uh, I like the Zobri product, but I also team it with uh, vitamin B12, preferably uh, hydroxycobalamin or be- better yet, methylcobalamin, because B12 deficiency is often implicated, even borderline B12 deficiency in peripheral neuropathy. Also, I like to use acetyl L carnitine and alpha lipoic acid. Are you, do you use a, a combo strategy with your patients sometimes? Well, well, the, the Zobria product has benfotine and methylcobalamin. Oh, great. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I, I agree with you completely. Um, the literature on alpha-lipoic acid suggests 600 milligrams a day, and you'll get some results in three to six months. When, I'm pra- when I was practicing uh, more, uh, well, I, I, I don't practice at this point anymore. I just lecture and, mm-hmm. and run the company. But when I was practicing, I really did not get any good results mm-hmm. with respect to uh, um, alpha-lipoic acid. Although, and, and you saw a lot of and, foot problems, so yeah. Yeah, well, I was, I was specializing in, in neuropathy. And acetylcarnitine, you have to take very large doses, and I wasn't convinced that I saw any results. Mm-hmm. you got to remember that when I was using benfotemia, we were getting significant results right away. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, very, that's very tough to, uh, to, uh, to do. Um, unless so it was among the nutrients you had tried, it was a standout, is what you're saying. Well, it was more than a standout. It, was, it worked. Yeah. Um, it, it works significantly, but certainly there's there can be well there's probably no harm in taking acetyl carnitine at the right doses and uh, alpha lipoic acid at the right doses. With alpha lipoic acid, you have to be careful because it's uh, when it gets into the stomach, it, it chelates yeah. metals, so you need an empty stomach, which makes it a little more a greater propensity to give you irritability yeah. in the stomach because it, it we're talking about caustic. an acid. It is caustic indeed. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And acetylcarnitine, you have to take, I think, one or two grams a day. It's a lot, it's a, you need a lot. Mm-hmm. And it, that can be pricey. Okay, great stuff. Do, do you want to add anything? Uh, you know, let's mention again uh, a source. You know, if people want to find out about you, uh, you have a bio at uh, Zobria.com slash about us. Uh, Zobria.com is the place to find out about benfotiamine. Um, any other resources we should know about? Of course, your paper, uh, which is in a journal called Cure Us, or Curious, spelled C-U-R-E-U-S. And just Google Cure, Cure Us, Dr. Richard Mann, benfotiamine, maybe throw in ALS, because that's the subject of the paper, and I think you'll find it. If you want to take a look at it, if you want to show it to your health practitioner, if you, I mean, we have a lot of health practitioners out there, and I think uh, it's worthwhile for health practitioners to be aware of this, of the potential of this nutrient. So I really want to thank you for, uh, you know, all the great work you're doing and for uh, this exciting new uh, update on the potential of Benfotemi. And that's why we invited you back, because there is uh, news you can use about this product. Well, 
Well, well, thank you so much. You're you're a kind uh, gentleman. I appreciate very much your interviewing me. I just want to make sure that everybody understands. If you've got any significant neurological diseases, you you need to speak to your physician, and um, you should uh, not take anything that we said as a, a treatment, etc. That's not the point. We're merely discussing the science here. And um, hopefully we'll get some great studies on this and be able to uh, further our knowledge with respect to vitamin B1 deficiency and neurological diseases. Yeah, at least you know, let's stimulate a discussion because uh, there's uh, not a lot to lose and there's potentially a lot to gain for a lot of people suffering from uh, really challenging conditions. So thanks again for joining us, uh, Dr. Richard Mann. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Hoffman. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman. And this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.